from NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News. This is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Our headlines this week, a school shooting in Mansfield ISD, the Senate votes to raise the debt ceiling, and Texas's abortion law is put on hold. To talk about it all, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers are joined this week by Congressman Jake Elsey and the Dallas Morning News Washington Bureau Chief Todd Gilman. Before we get started this week, please take a moment to like, rate, review, subscribe, Whatever the options are where you get your podcasts, it helps us grow the show and helps others find it. We start this week with a storyline that has become far too common, a school shooting. Four people were injured at Timberview High School in Mansfield ISD when a student opened fire inside the school on Wednesday. Three people were hospitalized and one was treated at the scene. 18-year-old Timothy Simpkins faces three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. He has since posted bond and was released. Congressman Jake Elsey is a Republican from Waxahachie who represents Texas's 6th U.S. House District. It includes South Arlington, where Timberview High School is located. Elsey was elected last summer in a special election to fill the seat of the late Congressman Ron Wright. District 6 includes all of Ellis and Navarro counties and about a quarter of Tarrant County. Here's Elsey with Julian Gromer. Thanks so much for being with us, Congressman. Good morning, Julian Gromer. Let's start here. What is your message to the school and community where this shooting happened? Obviously, we play, pray for the victims and hope they recover very, very quickly. And we also want to uh, compliment the Mansfield ISD Police Department, uh, the Arlington Police Department, Mansfield Police Department, and other law enforcement agencies that responded very, very quickly to prevent further loss of life. Yeah, further injuries in this uh, in this episode. Uh, I'm in close uh, coordination with uh, the state representative, David Cook, uh, the mayor of Arlington, and uh, we are all hoping that this is resolved very, very quickly. Those uh, law enforcement agents did catch the suspect very, very quickly, and, and he will be uh, uh, charged as, a, as an adult in this in this episode. Shortly after the shooting, the chair of the uh, uh, Texas Democratic Party released a statement that said, in part, the number one job of our elected officials is to keep Texans safe. Today, Greg Abbott and Texas Republicans once again failed because their dangerous gun laws are making it easier than ever for just about anyone to get a gun. That was uh, Gilberto Hinojosa. Congressman, your response to that statement? Well, that didn't take long for him to politicize an issue for which the ability for an 18-year-old or any, anybody for that matter to carry a weapon onto a school has nothing to do with politics. That has been illegal for a long time. So it's disappointing to see, but uh, not surprising that Mr. Hinojosa would choose to politicize this sad event that quickly instead of concentrating on the recovery of those people who were involved, the bravery of those who responded, and this having nothing to do with any legislative action at all. Guns-free zones have exist, have been around for a long time. An adult carried a weapon into a school. It's illegal and it has nothing to do with recent legislation. Mass shootings have become commonplace in America, including here in Texas. What should Congress do to help prevent these shootings? Should there be changes in gun laws? Should there be tighter restrictions? As I said, we need to ensure that uh, schools are safe places to be. There were two uh, school police officers who responded to the scene very, very quickly. We need to give them more support. And I would like to point out that Democrats have said we shouldn't have police officers in school. Let that sink in for a minute. 
the very fact that Republicans demanded that we have school marshals who have weapons and are trained in responding to episodes like this were on the scene and they're the sole reason why this ended so very quickly. So it's, it's remarkable to say that they're now switching gears and saying, uh, you know, this, this mass shooting episode. And then, by the way, this was not a mass shooting. This was one person who was involved in the shooting, carried in a backpack, uh, and the, the episode is under investigation. So let's let this investigation play out before we draw any conclusions about that. Congressman, um, not all Democrats have said that. I think that's important to point out here. You are absolutely correct, uh, and, and that, is, that is a fact. But uh, when, when the pushback came in the legislature for us to not have um, armed off, uh, officers in school, that did come from the Democrat side. Uh, before we turn to other business, just quickly, Congressman, should there be something done with the proliferation of guns in this country? Uh, this, this young man was not supposed to be having a gun, um, and I know that ATF is on the case on finding out where that gun came from. We have laws on the books that, uh, that already deal with the proliferation of guns. Uh, the Second Amendment stands. We have a strong Second Amendment. We have strong gun laws preventing, uh, preventing uh, uh, criminals from getting the guns. We just need to reinforce them. I'd like to point out that uh, uh, Operation Fast and Furious, we're seeing a lot of weapons being used throughout this country, being brought in by illegal immigrants because the Obama administration had a uh, had released numerous weapons into Mexico with the gun trade. So let's enforce the laws that are on the books. The Second Amendment uh, is strong. And in fact, uh, the ability to get a weapon anywhere in the United States is strongly regulated. And, uh, and, and there's, there need to be no changes. I think there would also be some questions for you regarding what you just said about the former president. But let's turn now to Washington. Democrats are working to get agreements on the president's agenda. Do you see House Republicans supporting the bills? Uh, which bill are you referring to? We were going back on Tuesday to talk about raising the debt ceiling. Is that what you're asking about? Yeah, let's start with the debt ceiling and also the um, infrastructure bill. Okay, sure. Uh, we'll be, uh, we've been called back uh, ahead of time to address the debt ceiling on Tuesday. Uh, I will be voting no on that. We have uh, had ha a great deal of spending that is uh, unaffordable, and I think we all know that. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill plus $3.5 trillion reconciliation. We have massive uh, inflation that's about to hit our shores, and then you throw those two against it. We're going to see inflation, the likes of which we've never seen. But we also are, are unable to afford that which we are already spending. Uh, the, the infrastructure bill, it's interesting to note, yes, in the United States, we do need some infrastructure improvements. However, over half of that bill has nothing to do with infrastructure, and it actually redefines infrastructure to talk about Green New Deal issues and saying things like uh, uh, child care is infrastructure. Yes, we definitely know that we need infrastructure, but uh, this, this bill is unaffordable. They overreached, the Democrats overreached when they built this bill. There was no input from uh, either side. It was created out of whole cloth from the Democrats, no uh, negotiation whatsoever with the Republicans, and it's simply unaffordable. I, uh, I would like to point out that we are at the highest debt level in our country since 1946 at the completion of World War II. We spent $6 trillion on COVID relief, half of which hasn't been spent. And now we want to spend $66 billion on, on Amtrak spending uh, for, uh, for a rail system that uh, has never been profitable and people, frankly, don't use. So we've got a laundry list, a Christmas wish list uh, put together by 
people who are unserious about uh, the country's finances, and we can't afford these bills. Uh, uh, Congressman, in a few seconds we have left, your District 6 will be changing under a Senate uh, redistricting uh, plan that was passed Friday. Have you looked at it? What do you think? I am. Uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't looked at it. I know that it's out there. I know that uh, most of the districts have changed as they do every ten years. But I know that the legislation is working. The legislature is working very hard on this. They are in their fourth month of special session, uh, and they're working very hard to make these uh, uh, fair, legal, and uh, and good districts uh, going forward. I, ha I haven't had a chance to look at them, and I haven't spoken with anybody about you, them. You may have uh, new constituents in Dallas, so get ready. It, it looks like it looks like my area will will extend based on the map that I have seen. So I, I will be driving a, a little bit further than I used to. And, uh, and and I'm excited about what it looks like. Congressman Jake Elzey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you all. Have a blessed day. The U.S. Senate voted to increase the nation's debt limit on Thursday, allowing the country to pay its bills at least until December 3rd. Republicans have in recent weeks prevented Democrats from passing a debt ceiling bill in the 50-50 Senate through their threat to filibuster. The U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. The vote allows Democratic lawmakers in Congress to turn their attention back to President Biden's infrastructure and spending bills. Also this week, a U.S. district judge ordered Texas to suspend its abortion law. In his opinion, District Judge Robert Pittman called it, quote, an offensive deprivation of a constitutional right. The law, signed by Republican Governor Greg Abbott in May, prohibits abortions once cardiac activity is detected, which is usually around six weeks, before some women even know they're pregnant. It went into effect in September. Texas officials say they will seek a reversal from the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which previously allowed the restrictions to take effect. To talk about all that and more, Julian Gromer talked to Todd Gilman, Washington Bureau Chief for the Dallas Morning News. He appeared with them on the TV show this week, but stuck around a little bit longer to go deeper into some issues on the podcast. To break down the busy week in Washington, Dallas Morning News, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief Todd Gilman joins us. Hey, Todd. Hey, Julie. Grammer. Good hey. to be with you. Let's start with you, Todd. The Democrats have yet to come to an agreement on President Joe Biden's agenda. Can he unite moderates and progressives who disagree on the size and the scope of the proposals? Well, that, that is the multi-trillion dollar question. Um, progressives are pushing uh, to get this infrastructure plan that includes a lot of things that uh, moderates and certainly conservatives don't consider infrastructure, like childcare. It's a very costly uh, set of proposals. Pretty much everybody agrees on the trillion dollars worth of hard infrastructure spending. Uh, long overdue. We saw week after week of infrastructure week under President Trump. Uh, but, you know, the, the trade-offs here are that if you go, and this is always the legislative trade-off, if you go for the common ground and accept a, a, a deal that everybody can get behind, you lose all the leverage to get the stuff that is a little tougher to swallow. And Biden has been navigating this and very interesting development in the last week or so. He has really sided with the progressives and uh, alienated moderates. It's uh, he's in a very delicate, delicate situation. And, you know, it's a it's a tough uh, deal to, to come with the scope and the number because you really only get one bite at the apple with these kinds of things. There's not going to be another opportunity to pass something this large and and this sweeping. 
And so progressives are like, you know, we have to do it now. We we got to go big. And it just may not be realistic. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But it's fascinating. It, it certainly is to watch also. You know, you talk about Senator Joe Manchin and Senator Kristen Sinema. I mean, watching them in, in all of this come together has been a really interesting few weeks. So, Todd, do you get to tr $2 trillion maybe? Is that the sweet spot? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I, I, I have to say, one of the interesting things is to, to see uh, Manchin and Sinema become uh, you know, the swing votes we used to have, the, the Republican moderate uh, senators from Maine were the only swing votes and they were effectively in charge of the Senate. And now it's just these two and Senator Sinema in particular uh, plays her cards very close and she, she is hard to read. Um, she doesn't at least in public uh, reveal what exactly she's holding out for on all of these things. Uh, Manchin has been very frustrating on things like the uh, Voting Rights Act, uh, but it, not because he's being, um, you know, playing hide the ball. He's saying, look, I'm not going to go here, but uh, let's try to do these sorts of things. And, and he's actively trying to find common ground on some of these difficult uh, partisan issues. Right. It is, it, it's a tough Senate when you've got 50-50 split and you need the vice president to break a tie and you need 10 Republicans to overcome a filibuster. All right, let's turn now to the state's new abortion law. A federal judge has blocked the enforcement of it just after the Justice Department sued, but now it goes to the conservative Fifth Circuit. Gromer, what's ahead here? Well, you just said conservative, so uh, expect the opposite of what the uh, the lower court judge rule. This is going to be a court battle that, that goes all the way up, and uh, and we'll see what happens there. But uh, Todd, I mean, uh, beyond the courts, it's about framing the issue, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it is certainly going to the Supreme Court, uh, which is considering a, a different. 15-week abortion ban out of Mississippi uh, at oral arguments December 1st, um, which, you know, the Texas uh, restriction is as early as six weeks into a pregnancy. Uh, in, in Congress, Democrats are pushing to codify Roe v. Wade, but again, you know, it gets through the House where Democrats uh, have a slim majority, and in the Senate, it's not going anywhere because you need 10 Republican votes, and uh, that Roe v. Wade hinges on the decisions made at the U.S. Supreme Court in coming months. Todd, before we let you go, Texas is getting two new congressional districts. If the proposal right now stands, that would be one for Houston, which may favor a Republican. One for Austin, it would likely favor a Democrat. Now, critics have complained that there is not a minority opportunity district with so much growth in the minority population. It, it's um, completely out of proportion to the minority population and, and even just the plain Democrat population in Texas. Democrats under the new map will have 14 out of 38 seats. Uh, President Biden won 46% of the state. They should have roughly 19 instead of 14 seats. Uh, but Republicans control the legislature and the governorship, and they control redistricting. And as you say, minority growth has uh, uh, really fueled all of the growth over the past 10 years that brought this bounty of two new congressional seats for Texas. Uh, and yet it is not 
minority voters who will be reaping the benefit. Gromer, this is a subject you know extremely well, my redistricting um, expert. Yeah, you know, uh, Latino voters, Hispanic Texans, really should be upset about this because they fuel most of the, the population growth in Texas. You know, out of four million folks who moved here over the last 10 years, 3.8 were from communities of color. Only 200,000, you know, uh, Anglos moved to, to Texas during that period. That's a stunning number. And because, you know, you don't have the pre-clearance requirement uh, that you had in previous years, that was removed in 2013 by the, the Supreme Court. So the Justice Department isn't the initial checkpoint for these redistricting maps anymore. You have to sue now if you want remedy, and that's much tougher. So as long as you have a process that's drawn and dictated by politics, whether it's Republican or Democrat, you're going to have these sorts of issues. It's not only tougher because people have to sue, but it's very time-consuming. And so what yeah. happens in this round of redistricting is that Republicans manage to lock in their their control of the legislature and of so many extra bonus seats in the U.S. House for at least four to six years, probably the entire decade. We're talking a lot about the Supreme Court, all eyes on that Mississippi case that could give a clue about what could happen if the Texas law makes it all the way to the Supreme Court. Right. And, you know, the fact that, that uh, SB 8, the Texas law, is not technically in front of the court doesn't mean that a ruling that knocks down uh, a 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi won't have implications for the Texas law. So uh, one, one thing to watch for is how that ruling is actually written. Now, of course, we, this is the first full term with Justice Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, she joined just a little bit after the last term began. It is a 6-3 conservative court, but the Chief Justice, Chief Justice Roberts, is a lot more keen than a lot of the other conservatives to protect the institutional reputation of the court by uh, respecting precedent and not just throwing things out because we no longer agree with it. Uh, there's a long, long history in Supreme Court jurisprudence of uh, stare decisis. You, you stick with decisions even if you don't like them unless they're really, really egregious. And we're about to find out if Roe v. Wade is egregious. There are a couple of other uh, cases uh, that we're keeping an eye on, one with uh, also with implications for Texas. There's an interesting case out of New York State having to do with concealed carry permits. Uh, that state law requires you to show a good reason why you need this permit to, to carry a gun uh, outside the home. And, and a couple of people who were denied, even though it's a pretty low bar, all you have to say is I need it for self-protection. Uh, they're challenging this law under the Second Amendment, obviously, to say Second Amendment is absolute and we shouldn't be subject to this. You know, this is this is something that, as you guys know, in Austin has been a very big issue with permitless carry. And this is the biggest gun rights case before the court in about a decade. That's fascinating because I wonder, will it have an impact on northern states with strict uh, gun control laws? We'll, we'll see. Um, also, Todd, the, the, you raise a good point about the precedent issue as it relates to the Supreme Court. We've always been hearing for, for decades, right, 
once the conservatives get a big enough majority on the court, Roe v. Wade will go away. We're here now, right? We're at this point where we're going to see if, if, if that indeed happens. It's really interesting how politicians in both parties have uh, in, insisted that the court should be nonpartisan, but at the same time, everyone who has run for president, particularly on the conservative side, although the Democrats have also recognized this in recent elections, that the Supreme Court's direction hinges on presidential elections. Uh, and one of the things that we're seeing out of the justices themselves in recent weeks, they are insisting that they are not a political branch of government. No, really, you can trust us. We're independent, neutral arbiters. But it sure is um, obvious to pretty much everyone that for the most part, if you were named to the court by a Democrat, you're probably going to rule a certain way on abortion and other issues. And if you were named to the court by a Republican, you were probably going to rule the other way on abortion and a bunch of other issues. It is blatantly, explicitly, obviously a political branch of government. And it is a, they, they really need to thread the needle this year uh, on maintaining the institutional reputation of the court. I want to turn quickly, and we talked about this a little bit in the show, but I want to talk a little bit about the infighting among the Democratic Party, the progressives and the moderates. I mean, there is really no agreement. I, there's no agreement, really, on how to make the president's agenda happen. I mean, could this infighting sink his agenda? I remember when Paul Ryan was the speaker, if you guys remember, um, they were trying to make changes to health care, and they couldn't come to an agreement with the Freedom Caucus, and then they, it, there were no changes. Or there were, I'm well, sorry, there was not, it was not uh, overturned. Is that the right word? Because we're on Supreme Court. Effort, yeah. Right well, I mean, stylistically, I, I think there's a, there's a pretty big uh, difference between the Tea Partiers who really were willing to uh, burn the house down, uh, metaphorically, and like, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, wing of the Democratic Party. Now, they can be vehement, they can be strident, um, and and they're not they're not as obstructionist with the president uh, as the Tea Party. They're 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 just not exercising their muscle in the same way, and part of that is because Biden's heart seems to be with them, or at least. In, in his very old-fashioned political sense, and he said this just the other day uh, when he was in Chicago, you got to dance with ones that brung you, uh, and that's a lesson that he has learned in decades of politics, and progressives are the ones who delivered him to the White House. They, they weren't tons thrilled with him in the Democratic primary, but if they had uh, gone rogue on him in the general election, he easily could have lost to Donald Trump. But, you know, Bernie Sanders delivered that wing. AOC came on board. Uh, he knows that he owes them, and he's trying to deliver within certain constraints. He's not all on board with the Green New Deal, for instance, but he's on board with a lot of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I would say that the problem that Biden faces with getting through the Biden agenda is not so much this infighting that you're talking about as much as it is the fact that Democrats control the Senate by virtue of having the tie-breaking vote from the vice president. Uh, there's just, there's no way to get through 
a very aggressive, progressive agenda uh, in that environment. So listen to what you just said. Is there a way then, how do you convince the progressives? And the, the Joe Mansions. I'm going to interrupt. Well, well, the progressives, that there's no way to get a bill passed. What you just said, it, a, a big progressive, the bill, the, the big bill the progressives want, want. You can't get it past the Senate, right? So, right. So how how does Joe Biden mollify the people who brought him to the dance, knowing that you can't do that? I, you know, I, it, it, it's a challenge. I mean, all he can do is show that he tried, and and he definitely deserves some criticism for not being nearly as good. Uh, as like LBJ came out of the Senate also and was uh, fantastic well, the, the at the master of the Senate. Remember, uh, master of the Senate, yeah. even as president, Biden has not shown himself to be a master of the Senate as president, a uh, master deal maker that he might have been. So the way he mollifies the progressives is by trying and by somehow persuading them that look, if you push me too far you're going to alienate a lot of voters for the midterm elections and then we absolutely will lose control of the senate and the house and then you know good luck with that uh, i mean they have to play a longer game than insisting on their way or else right now because it just isn't feasible to get their way right now finally todd speaking of losing control of the senate and maybe the house are we looking at that Joe Biden's approval ratings have, have sank or dipped in the past few weeks. You know, historically, the party in power takes losses in midterm elections. And this doesn't look good for, for the president right at this moment. What do you think? You, you said it. I mean, that's it. You know, the environment is very important. Uh, the economy is coming back. We have vaccines, but we don't know if we're going to need booster vaccines, if that's even going to work against the Delta variant. If we have another lockdown, boy, that's going to uh, really hurt the economy and Biden's uh, ratings, which, as you say, they're, they're below 40 percent. He is in a bad, bad place for Democrats to survive the midterms in good shape. And, you know, the, the, it doesn't take very many losses in the Senate to lose control of the Senate. And it only takes about a half dozen losses in the House. And I, I can't tell you what it's going to look like post redistricting. I can say that, you know, in, in Texas, the Republican legislature is padding their, uh, their share of the Republican House seats by a half dozen. And this is going on all around the country. In some states, Democrats have the edge in the legislatures and others Republicans do. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but boy, the House is right on the edge, too, and this is a very bad place for Democrats to be. Professor Gilman, when are you coming to see us so we can all go out for Mexican again? I I will figure out an opening on my calendar. Okay, good. We all you have you. to do is say Mexican food. He's and probably, he's probably, probably he's get booking. on a plane now, you know. I'll see you at the airport. I'll pick you up. Very good. <laughs> all right, thanks, Todd. Right, we appreciate you. you. Good to see you guys. Thanks to Congressman Jake Elsey and Todd Gilman for joining the show this week. Stay up to date on all things Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.